Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 399. After the end of a 24-hour race, that you get out of your car with one ounce of energy left, but you haven't done your job properly. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. 2015 marks Covercraft's 50th anniversary. They've manufactured premium quality exterior and interior covers here in the United States with a reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit with over 80,000 patterns and growing. You can choose from dozens of fabric options and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicle. Made in the USA, Covercraft is the right choice. I've protected my special rides with their covers for over 40 years, and you should too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited and revved up to introduce a very special guest, Hurley Haywood. Hurley, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I got my seatbelt on and my shoulder harness on. <laughs> cool. Awesome. I'll try to keep it off the walls and on the track today, okay? Sounds good. Hurley Haywood's racing career goes all the way back to 1969 when he raced with Peter Gregg at Watkins Glen. They won that first race together that started a path in racing that's unmatched today. He built his career behind the wheel of the number 59 Brumos Porsche racing for the Jacksonville, Florida-based team that's lasted over 40 years. The number of major race wins and championships he accumulated in his career make him the most successful endurance racing driver in history. That record still stands today. Hurley has won IMSA championships, the Daytona 24 Hours, Sebring 12 Hours, and the 24 Hour of Le Mans, and the list goes on and on. He's been awarded the Motorsports Hall of Fame, Florida Sports Hall of Fame, and many others as well. Hurley... I've told our listeners just a little tiny bit about your amazing history with Porsche and racing. Could you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion for Porsches? Sure, I'd love to. You know, that uh, that passion for Porsche has uh, lasted for a very long time. I remember being on my grandmother's farm outside of Chicago, uh, which is where I was, was uh, born and raised, and my grandfather bought a 1952 356. Oh, cool. It was dark, dark green, had tan seats. I was all of about five years old at that point, and I just fell in love with that car when he rolled it onto the lawn uh, in front of my grandmother's house. I was had been really lucky. I, I started, as I said, we had a, a, a bunch of farms outside of uh, the city, and that gave me an opportunity to drive a lot of different vehicles, so I started driving a full-size car when I was 12 years old. Oh, cool. And, uh, you know, went through the whole go-kart thing, and when I graduated from uh, high school, I got a Corvette when I went to college, and I used to autocross that car at all the uh, autocrosses in the state of Florida, and I was pretty good. I was almost unbeatable. And one weekend, um, 
Peter Gregg from Brumos arrived with his full transport with the race car and the whole crew mm-hmm. getting ready for a race that he was going to do in Lime Rock next weekend. And really, I didn't know who Peter Gregg was at that point. And to make a long story short, I beat him for the fastest time of the day. He came up and introduced himself and said, you got to be pretty good to beat me. <laughs> wow. And we uh, we became friends. He knew I wanted to get going in racing. So uh, I was a business admin. Uh, that was my uh, where I was trying to get in college. And mm-hmm. I brought a really cool proposal to my dad because I was going to have to get his help to start racing. So he was in so so impressed with it that he gave me a two-year window. And he said, if you if you make enough money after two years to continue on at the same level, I couldn't drop down, then I'll do this. So the stars aligned, everything, you know, went perfectly. And within, on the third year of my career, I was making enough money to continue on. So oh, wow. I certainly could not have done it without Peter and without Porsche. I mean, Porsche is the car to have if you want to win these long distance racing. So basically my whole entire career has been around, around Porsches. The only time I didn't drive a Porsche was when I busted my leg up pretty badly uh, in 1983, and I couldn't push the clutch down, which meant that I was going to sit out for a period of about two years, over, a little over two years. Mm. And Jaguar came and asked me if, if uh, I would drive for them, and I went over and drove with them with actually with Porsche's permission, because Porsche didn't want me sitting around doing nothing. So, <laughs> And that was, you know, I did that, then came back, started racing Porsches again, won some championships, and then I retired from the full-time driving duties in, the, in 2009. And mm-hmm. then in 2010, Brumos went from the Daytona prototypes back to racing a GT car. We won the championship the first year out in 2010. And then... I retired full-time from the driver's seat in 2012, and then that gave me the opportunity to spend more time in the dealership to do you know, other things with the PR department at Porsche, which who I've worked for for a long time. Also help with the Porsche Sport Driving School up in Birmingham, Alabama, which I'm the chief instructor of. So it's been, you know, it's even though I retired from the driving seat, it's certainly not retired i'm you know busy now busier now than i've ever been actually yeah that's what i hear people that are friends of yours and around you say you never stand still so you bleed porsche blood that's for sure and your history and what you're doing even today i mean you're still having fun with porsche so that's what makes your career and your life so fascinating especially for a porsche fan like myself i am so lucky that uh i'm able to do something that i love doing and make making a living doing it so yeah very fortunate guy for sure not without a lot of hard work though as we continue on your journey i always like to start by asking my guests for some kind of a success quote that has some meaning in their life it's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars yeah so hurley i know you love to drive take the wheel well i i think uh in a nutshell uh it was a quote that uh rolex watches uses quite often in reference to me and I I think I said to them if after the end of a 24-hour race that you get out of your car with one ounce of energy left that you haven't done your job properly oh wow so you know I think racing is is a kind of sport which not only do you have the physical demands but you also have the mental demands and anybody that's 
you know, tried to concentrate on something for a long period of time, it's almost impossible. We have about a concentration span of about 15 minutes, and then we get up and, you know, walk around and have a cigarette, a cup of coffee, something to distract us, and then we get back. In a race car, you don't have that luxury. You can right. concentrate for, you know, one or two hours. So that uh, is physically very, very difficult. So you've got the physical drain and the mental drain, and you really have to control those so the drop is in unison with one another, and that's difficult. And there's a few guys that have that down, and they're the ones that win these races on a regular basis. Well, before I go to my next question, this brings up a, a great thought for our listeners. How do you maintain that kind of focus and attention? Your career has been built mostly around endurance racing, which you're right. Anybody who's ever gone out and just take try to take a road trip for a long time, much less get on a racetrack and focus – what kind of things do you do to prepare yourself to stay in that mindset, that focus for such a long period of time at that level of driving? You know, I'm often asked that question, and I really don't have an answer for it. It, it just comes almost naturally to me. I don't really have to work on it. Maybe I'm just super simple-minded and <laughs> can't think about more than you know one thing. But when I'm when I'm in that car, I'm I'm so focused on what I'm. I'm doing that I just don't have any room to think about anything else mm-hmm. and and because of the consequences of a lap a lasp of of uh concentration it could be you know pretty serious so right. it really kind of forces you to stay on the mark and and luckily I've I've never had really a problem with uh you know sort of drifting away from that focus right well I was fortunate enough to race vintage cars for about 12 years and that, along with riding motorcycles, you have to stay so, so focused, like you said, or the consequences could be pretty dire. So, yeah. uh, yes, that focus, that ability to focus is so important. You talked about growing up on a farm, which sounds wonderful, and then getting to drive cars at the age of 12. Could you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? You talked about your grandfather buying that that green Porsche 356, but is there a pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you wanted to race cars? Yes, actually, I went to boarding school on the East Coast up in Vermont, and on one of the spring breaks, my roommate and myself went to his grandmother's house down in Palm Palm Beach, and we were down down there for about two days and just were bored out out of our heads, and we were reading the newspaper, and you know, said the twelve hours of Sebring, you know, come down, blah blah blah. So we said that might be a cool thing to do. So we got in the car, drove over to, to Seaburn, got there sort of right at, at dusk, and we snuck in the back gate. That's when all of the teams were, you know, based out in the in the airport runways. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with the whole concept of, of racing. I mean, the smell, the watching those cars. We snuck into relatively close to the pit so we kind of can see what was going on. We had no tickets, so we were, you know, we, if we got caught, we probably would have been thrown out. But <laughs> it sort of ignited my interest in that. And then so that, so when I, when I went away to college, I went to the university, or to uh, uh, Jacksonville University down here in Jacksonville. And I had, a, as I said, I had a really fast Corvette. I used to race that thing in all the autocrosses. I was pretty much unbeatable. And um, Peter Gregg arrived one Sunday with his full complement of 
of his race team and race, you know, the race car and the whole thing, mm-hmm. getting ready to go to a, a race in uh, Lime Rock, Connecticut next weekend. And I didn't know who Peter Gregg was, so he, to make a long story short, he I beat him in a in the runoff, and he came up and introduced himself. He said, "You got to be pretty good to beat me." So that's what kind of started the whole thing. I went mm. to races with him, you know, working on the crew. Yeah. And then when I turned 21, which is in 1969, I immediately started racing. And the third race of my career was the six hours of Watkins Glen, which he and I won. Cool. Uh, the the GT class. And then, unfortunately, I got my draft notice, and I was on an airplane going to Vietnam in November. So oh, goodness. That was not such a cool thing, but the military service, I think, you know, forced me to grow up in a big hurry. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, understand the the rules and, and discipline and all those kind of things that, that help with the racing career. So when I came back in, in 71, we started racing again, and uh, I won back-to-back championships in 71 and 72, and then... Peter and I won the 24 Hours of Daytona and Sebring in 73, and that sort of started the whole the whole role. <laughs> wow. Well, what a story. What an amazing story. And we just celebrated Veterans Day, so thank you for your service to our country. Difficult times for sure. Vietnam had many family members who served over there, but uh, we're so happy you came back safe and sound and continued on this career. Absolutely incredible. Started with Sebring. Very cool. So, Hurley, what I'd love to do is crawl under the hood and ask you to talk about a huge challenge or even a great failure that you face along the way. Racing is fraught with ups and downs and challenges. And I wonder if there's a time in your career when you were just about to say, you know what, I got to throw in the towel and this is too much. But the more important part of the story has to do with how did you overcome that particular challenge and what did it teach you so that you can move forward? Well, I don't think there was any point in my career that I ever thought about giving up that I wasn't successful because you know with, with you know thank goodness that I've never really had a terrible year I've never really had a year where nothing worked where I wasn't winning races I was driving for horrible teams I've always been blessed with running with really well-financed teams and well-organized teams with really great co-drivers. So mm-hmm. that's part of the problem, or part of the recipe that makes for a successful operation. The, you know, when I hurt, my, I got into a bad wreck. I very seriously damaged my left leg, which prevented me from pushing the clutch down in a Porsche. Mm-hmm. And that really, um, that was a low point. Uh, that you know, I spent about a month in the in the hospital uh, multiple surgeries on my leg it took really almost over two years for it to heal and in the meantime while while in the I guess maybe the third month after I had gotten into the accident Jaguar called me and they said you know in our cars you don't have to use the clutch we have a Hewlin gearbox you only have to use the clutch to get in and out of the pits mm-hmm. and so I I jumped at that that chance and I asked Porsche actually gave me permission to do it because they didn't want me just sitting around doing nothing. So I went over there and raced and, and raced for, for Jaguar for about uh, two and a half years, I think. And then finally my leg was strong enough uh, to get back into a Porsche, but that was sort of a low point, but only for a brief 
period of time. And then after I got in the Jaguar, uh, I was pretty competitive in that car and, and the leg was not a deterrent to my performance. So that was good. Well, it's a classic pivot story of finding yourself in a situation where you couldn't continue for the moment and you pivoted and went and did the same thing in some other car. What kind, what kind of Jaguar were you driving those years? It was uh, with Group 44. It was a, a, a GTP car, great oh, car, great, oh, yeah. you know, 12, 12 cylinder yeah. motors. And, and uh, we had, you know, some fairly good luck with that car. I think we won, uh, you know, three or four races against it. And at that time, we were competing against the Porsches, the 962. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think Porsche was anxious to get me back into a, <laughs> yes. into a Porsche. But, you know, it was one of your racing, as you said, you know, is, is ups and downs. And one of the things, you know, that, that, uh, Peter Craig told me was that once you decide where you want to go, and that's obviously in his case it was with Porsche, and certainly in my case it was with Porsche. Just stay with them. Don't get trapped into the sort of the secular part of racing where you have these ups and downs. And on the downside, you're very tempted to go. You know, I can get a better deal over there with, you know, whoever it might be. Mm-hmm. But just stick with Porsche because in the long run, Porsche will come through and they will will build a car that will support what you want to do, basically win races. Right. And that's basically what I've done. I've stayed with the Mark for you know over 40 years, and because of that loyalty and because of the success that I've had behind the wheel of a Porsche, that's opened up other uh, opportunities such as the dealership. Uh, such as my relationship with the PR department at Porsche, being the chief instructor of the Porsche Sport Driving School up in Birmingham. So all of these things have kind of uh, sprouted off from the original success that I had with, with Porsche on the racetracks. Yeah, well, very fortunate to have a friend in Peter Gregg and the wisdom that he shared with you that uh, you were wise enough to uh, listen to and follow through on. So all of us who love Porsche are very happy that you've done that. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a story. When you had one of those aha moments during your racing career, and tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into even more success. Uh, I think the aha moment from early in my career is when Peter Gregg and Roger Penske were given 911 RSs to compete at Daytona in 1973. And this was a card that I don't think Porsche had any intent on thinking that the car could win the race overall. But what was really super cool for me was that I was competing against guys in an equal car to ours, because they're both identical factory cars, against uh, Mark Donahue and Joe, George Fulmer, two guys who were at the top of their field and you know, respected worldwide with their conference retained sports cars. And mm-hmm. here I was in my third year of, of racing competing equally against Mark Donahue and George Fulmer. So that sort of gave me the confidence that I needed to have the confidence in my own ability to compete against these guys and not be totally con- intimidated by those guys. Right. The next step to that equation was, in 73, Peter gave me the responsibilities of driving the Can-Am car. So I went from a 300-horsepower uh, 911 into a 1,250-horsepower 917. Oh, my huge, gosh. <laughs> huge adjustment. Yeah. 
and uh, because of the friendship that I had gained with with Mark Donahue, he was very helpful in getting my arms around driving that 91710, and so that was that was really good. So those 1973 was really kind of a pivotal year for me. That put put my light into the or my name into the spotlights. And it also got me racing against the very top guys, both, you know, in the Can-Am, they had the cream of the crop of, of the sports car guys. Oh, yeah. Winning, winning Daytona and Sebring, that was a big thing. That was an internationally recognized, two internationally recognized races. So that was a huge confidence builder. And then just all kind of just, just went from there. Everything that I touched seemed to be successful. You know, I didn't really have anything that I tried to do that didn't turn out, you know, well. I remember if you had to pick one thing that I really didn't do particularly well, and as I was at, that was at Indy, I was run, running for sort of a, a mid midfield team, and though the experience was something that was really incredible, uh, being those racers, I think Indianapolis is kind of the, the mecca of, of racing, and and to be able to compete in the Indy 500 was a thrill. And I, I think, you know, I finished 12th, I think, 12th or 13th. Mm-hmm. But that very quickly made my mind up that this was not something that I really wanted to do on a full-time basis, and I wanted to concentrate on sports cars and not not Indy cars. So right. it was this experience that I'm very grateful that I was able to experience, but I certainly wouldn't want to do that. Maybe if I was running for Roger Penske, I would have had a different, <laughs> yeah, different, a different opinion. But, uh, yeah. you know, I, I quickly said that back then those the cars were dangerous. You know, you really could get hurt pretty easily or killed. And I just said, I, that's not for me. Yeah. Well, do you ever look back at those days and pinch yourself and say, my gosh, how fortunate was I to be part of, of those, the IROC, world the 917 world i mean that can oh my gosh just incredible yeah i mean when i and i have a lot of the cars that uh i originally raced mm-hmm. like like the 91710 that's in our collection here at brumos nice and when i get into that car like i had that car out at Rensport, and you know you look at that and you just say god what was what was i thinking <laughs> of when i when i drove this car because Literally, the chassis is made up. It's all aluminum tubing, the size of your finger. Yeah. And you sat between two 50-gallon tanks of, of fuel. Uh, the bladders in those were not very sophisticated. So, if you ever had any major, you know, thing go wrong, you were going to be dead or, or, or hurt very badly. So I just, when I drive that car, I knock on wood and say, you know, thank the Lord that that. Uh, he had his hand on me when I was driving that car because uh, it could have been really bad. But, you know, in, in the technology that has evolved, because my career has spanned over 40 years, so oh, yeah. you are able to look at those technology of those early race cars that we, we drove and how that evolution on the safety and the design and build of, of, of race cars, current race cars, has evolved dramatically. So now you can have these horrendous crashes and the guys undo their seatbelts after flipping through the air multiple times and slamming into the guardrail uh, and they get out and walk away. And yeah, no, no it's incredible. Problem. So it's all because of 
of the how you dissipate energy, and that's why the cars, that's why you see these cars break apart. The suspension comes off, the engine comes off, everything comes off. The last thing that the energy uh, goes to is the driver's capsule, and mm-hmm. uh, they've really done an amazing job of not only cars that are made out of carbon fiber, because most most racing cars are not carbon fiber, but you take a look at a, a, a stock car. Those cars are all tubular chassis cars, but they also are super, super well made with crush zones and all kinds of stuff that protect the drivers in these horrendous wrecks that those cars get in. So it's, it's nice to see that evolution. And, and uh, as you said, I'm thankful that I made it through the years where you know, guys are getting killed on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. Uh, wow. Incredible. Well, you talked about some of the amazing race cars that you've had the fortune to drive, but it, what was your first really special race car? And I don't want you to choose one out of all of them. What's the first car that you got into race that you just went, wow, can't believe I'm here. That's kind of like asking, you know, <laughs> what's your favorite kid? Is. Well, that's why I uh, say the word first, the first yeah, one. It, yeah. It, it's, uh, the car that when I when I'm asked the question, what's your favorite race car? I always go back to the 936, which was the car that I won Le Mans with in '77. Mm-hmm. That was an open cockpit car. It had a beautiful balance of between engine performance and and road holding, where the thing wasn't just totally glued to the ground like a, a downforce car would be. So it kind of floated through the corner. So you had, you know, the control with the throttle and the steering. And that's a fun car when you drive a prototype that that ha- has that kind of characteristic. It's it's really fun to drive it. And that that 936 evolved in three distinctively different versions of that car. So the last car that we ended up when we drove, it drove in 1980 was the, under Jules livery. Jules was the sponsor, mm-hmm. and that had the Porsche Indy, Indy engine, in it, and that was just a s- sweet part of a car to drive. So, I think of, of all the race cars, and every race car I've driven, you know, has a special moment. The early 911s were special, 935s were special, 962s were special. So they all have a special place in my heart. But that, for some reason, just the way that 936 drove and the way it looked you know when you look at a car and it's it's absolutely beautiful to look at and it has a graceful beautiful line to it you know it does something to your 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 psyche that when you're sitting in this car you feel you know this really feels good so yeah that that would be the car ah beautiful car they had one of those at Rensport, and it was just ah so graceful looking <laughs> just yeah. sitting there wonderful car Let's have a little bit of fun here. How about races? We've talked about cars, and you've raced in so many races, but is there one race in particular as you look back on your career that really stands out in your mind as really, really special? Well, I think, you know, if you take a look, if you put that as to what race really was the it was the turning point in your career, it would be the Daytona 24-hour mm-hmm. race in 1973. That race, by winning that race, that really you know, set Peter and myself sort of apart from the from the crowd. And then we we backed that up by winning uh, the 12 Hours of Sebring back-to-back. So it wasn't a fluke thing. And that was a great race. We raced, you know, hard throughout the 
entire race. When we got the car from from Porsche, in typical Brumos fashion, we you know took the whole thing apart, checked everything, and put it back together. And we we found when we took the engine down, uh, the the flywheel flywheel bolts were loose. Mm. And so Peter got on the phone, called Roger, and said, you know, you need to check your engine. We found that the flywheel bolts were were loose, and you know, Roger thought that he was just you know, dicking with them and <laughs> didn't do anything. And sure enough, their car in the middle of the night, uh, the clutch came loose and that put them out of the race. So, oh goodness! But but it was a it was an epic battle to that point, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. And it was that was really a lot of fun. So, winning that race sort of set the tone. And then, you know, I won multiple times at, at Daytona over three decades, really in the seventies, eighties, and and nineties. So that's pretty pretty cool to be able to do that. Oh, absolutely. How about, let's bring it up to today. What current projects are you working on right now with Porsche, with Brumos? That really have you excited and fired up? Well, you know, as you know, the whole scene of sports car racing, both on the prototype side and the GT side, is changing da- daily practically with the merger of the IMSA and Grand Am um, organizations. So mm-hmm. now it's all under IMSA. Uh, which was the old Grand Am organization. Mm -hmm. And for 2016, they've adopted all the GT3 rules from Europe. So you're going to get all the major players coming in with their cars to race in the 24 hours of Daytona this year. So it should be a really spectacular race to go down and and watch and see because all the manufacturers will be there in the GT. As far as what we're doing here at, at, uh, at Brumos, we're sort of just sort of sitting back and and waiting to see what happens. It's super super expensive. The cars are not cheap. They're you know three times what their cars was from last year. So mm, wow. the cars are expensive. Uh the operational budgets are you know basically doubled. Um so it for us to make a decision to go back into racing is one that has to be has to have the foundation where we as a company can at least break even, and we can't even come close to doing that. So we just have to kind of wait to see where the opportunities arise. We've had a pretty nice relationship with John Wright Motorsports. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were helping us with our GT effort. They were with Patrick Dempsey for the last couple of years. So they're a good uh, operation, and if we did anything going forward, I think it would be in a in a combination with right motorsports. So um, we'll just kind of wait and see how things pan out. There you go. Well, I hope uh, something comes through that is uh, good for you guys, good for Brumo, so we can see you out there. That would be great. Now, here's a very introspective question. I love asking this question, especially of race car drivers. It's a little funny, but it's kind of fun. If you were a race car, Hurley, what kind of race car would you be and why? <laughs> I'd be a, I'd be a Porsche, of course. Well, I know that, but let's pick. Let's get a little bit more specific. I I kind of figured you'd be a Porsche. Yeah, that runs through your blood. But is there one in particular that says Hurley Haywood today? Well, I you know that that's a question I've never been asked that before. <laughs> but it's an interesting it's an interesting question. And you know, if you look at all the Porsche race cars that have been in existence ever since Porsche first you know, started making race cars. Mm-hmm. 
I think one of the cars, and we have one in our collection, is a 550. Mm. 550 is just one of the most beautiful aesthetic cars that ever were made, the line of it. And that line, really, you can follow that lineage from in every Porsche, whether it's a 356 or it's a 911 or a 914. They all have that sort of similar look to what the original 550 Spider was. Mm. And that design concept, 550 wasn't necessarily a rear-engine car, but it was more of a mid-engine car that had a, a sort of a percentage toward the rear. Right. Uh, that has been a concept that Porsche has pretty much stuck with through all of their sports car themes. Race, race, and then, of course, race cars like the 350 or the um, 936, the 962, uh, the current P, P1 cars are, of course, all mid-engine. But the answer to your question would be the 550. I think mm. the 550, if I was, if I was going to come back from being a human being to being a, a sports car, I would want to be a 550s <laughs> Spider. Very cool. I, I love that answer. I am a huge fan of 550s. I've never had the the pleasure or, or the wherewithal or the income to have a real one. I did have a Beck Spider for some time that uh, was built by John Wilhoyt, and it was actually built with all Porsche 356 parts. Even had a Speedster engine in the back, and ah, the car just so beautiful. The looks of it. I'm sitting here. I have a model in front of me on my desk. There's a uh, artwork on the wall in my desk here of a 550 Spider. So uh, I've got a big smile on my face that you you picked that car. That's a great choice. I love it. So, Hurley, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. Metrovac has been manufacturing and providing quality automotive vacuums and blowers since 1939. I've used their portable vacuum and blowers for over 15 years in my garage, on my cars, motorcycles, around my home, and you should too. Their Air Force Master Blaster Revolution is my go-to tool every time I wash and detail my vehicles. Powered by two twin-fan 4.0 peak horsepower motors, the Master Blaster delivers up to 58,000 feet per minute of clean, warm, dry, filtered air. Dry your car without a towel and avoid those nagging micro-scratches. Perfect for the wheels, engines, motorcycles, and all those frustrating water traps in trim, door jams, and seals. Check out all of Metrovac's quality products, deliberately made better in the USA. Metrovac is the right choice. Learn more today at metrovac.com. Use discount code CARSYEAH20 and you'll get 20% off your first order. That's right, 20% off. Details at carsyeah.com slash sponsors. All right, Hurley, we're back and we're ending what I call the last lap. You're a racer, you know what that means. The white flag is out. Time to put our foot into it. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Yep. Okay. What's the best racing advice you've ever received, and who was it from? Well, that is simple. The late Bob Wallach um, and I were teammates with Porsche, and he told he gave me some very sound advice. He said, if you want to have a long career at Porsche, you will drive as fast as you can go and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Great. And I think that is, is excellent advice is one of those things where you never give up uh but i i have always sort of adhered to that fact that porsche is so good at what they want to do mm-hmm. that they don't want to be told by racing drivers what to do but if they at but porsche's kind of company that 
you know, ask for your opinion, but until you're asked for your opinion, keep your mouth shut. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Um, one of those, which just came naturally, is the ability to uh, concentrate. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that came from. I couldn't concentrate for five minutes on a test book. If I had to make a test, I always had a a million excuses why I would want to get up and do something else. But Mm -hmm. when I'm sitting in the racing seat, that concentration ability just comes naturally. So many, many people, you know, have a hard time with concentration, even racing drivers. And, you, you know, when you make a mistake on the racetrack, it's probably because you've had a lapse of concentration. You you made a mistake, yeah. and because the speeds are so high now, that mistake can't be nullified by you know other circumstances. So the the bad judgment causes some serious re- re- repercussions. So absolutely, I think it's you know I think one of the personal habits is just to be able to um, concentrate and also being able to control emotion. I think that's really an important element mm. that. If somebody does something to you on the racetrack that you don't like, that instead the instant reaction to that is retaliate. But yep. sometimes, you know, you have to lose the battle to win the war. And I've always sort of been very strong as far as my emotional response to any situation goes. And I think more about, you know, what do I do now? How do I manage this? So even though some guy tried to drive me off the racetrack, how am I going to make that work for me in the long run? So, right. Yeah. yeah, no red mist for Hurley Haywood. Yeah, no red mist. And everybody I know who who's told me about you said you're such a calm person. You're always able to stay calm and focused. So, uh, yes, great attributes for a race car driver and for anybody in life for that matter. How about a resource? Is there one resource in particular you think the Cars Yow listeners would really enjoy that you've enjoyed? Oh, a resource. I think, you know, your resource that I think helps drivers is friends, you know, Mm. supporters. And when you have people that are sort of in your inner circle that you can trust and that that you can tell your problems to, and, you know, I think that's hugely supportive. I'm not a terribly religious person. I was born a, a, you know, Catholic and, but I do believe in God, and you you know you you have a kind of a, a a regimen that you go into, and you sort of having a, a higher being, sort of protecting over the the whole atmosphere. I think is is helpful and and somewhat calming when you when you think about it, because in in a racing car, you're dealing with such a a, a hectic and totally evolving situation where no two things are the same. So everything is, is a new challenge. Mm-hmm. Even though you've gone around the same corner a hundred times, that corner on that given lap is different. You have different circumstances. So the ability to adapt to the conditions quickly uh, is, is really important. So I think the, the, the resource would be, the inner circle that you have around you that you can rely on to give good advice to, mm-hmm. and the other resource is yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to believe 
in yourself where everybody else is saying, oh, you can't do that, that's impossible. But you yourself have to believe, I can do this, I can get this job done. And if uh, I would say the, I would say that's probably the most important resource source that you have is yourself. Absolutely. Very well said. How about a book? I know there's a lot of great book out, books out there, but is there one book in particular you think our listeners would enjoy that you've enjoyed reading? Um, the, the up and coming Hurley Haywood book. <laughs> hey, oh, really? All right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's in the, it's in the works of being talked about. So it, 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 you know, I would say maybe a year to a year and a half, but very cool. The Art of Resident in the Rain. Ah, by Garth Stein. Uh, which, yeah. Which, yeah. Which was a marvelous book that, you know, the first chapter I was reading on a, on a airplane. <laughs> <laughs> cool. A lady, lady sitting next to me because the first chapter, you know, you, you, you got to be really cold not to just to cry in the first. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm a huge dog lover. My dog is sitting right at my my feet right now. And nice. Well, Gar Stein's book has been recommended by many people here. I love that book as well. I've always thought they should make a movie out of that book. I think it would be fantastic. Maybe they will someday. But we'll all look forward to your book coming out as well with your legacy. I can't wait for that to appear. So make sure you let me know, and I'll remind our listeners that you can find all these great resources that Hurley's been so kind to share with us today at carsyad.com slash Hurley Haywood. Do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars or is Hurley's entire life cars, cars, cars? No, I, I love uh, boating. You know, I just love the uh, water. Any, anything to do with the water, I really love doing. Nice. Uh, I like tennis. I like to cook. Cooking is something that uh, is extremely relaxing to me mm. and you know, growing the stuff that you use in cooking. I like, you know, getting my hands dirty in the dirt. So I like doing that. In this day and age, I have so little free time. I thought when I retired in 2009 and then full-time in 2012 that I would have lots of time on my hands, but that has not been the case, which (laughs) I guess is a blessing. But It is, um, yes. At some point, I'll have uh, more time to... Uh, enjoy some of the things I love doing. Well, you've discovered the secret to life in retirement, and that is staying busy and doing what you're passionate about. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. (laughs) Awesome. All right. We are up to the checkered flag here, Hurley. And this last question can be a real doozy. I'm real interested to see how you answer this one. I might have an idea of how you're going to answer it, but we'll see. If you could only have one collector car, and I'll include collector race car in your garage, but don't worry about the price, because whatever car is out there today, I'm going to buy it for you. What would that one vehicle be, and why? Well, I am, I am super lucky that I have both of those cars in in our collection. So yeah. I have, I have a 550, which I think is just sort of the car that started started it all. Mm-hmm. And I have a 918. Mm. So the 918 is at the other end of the of the scale, the most you know revolutionary forward-thinking car that is, you know, produced by Porsche. Right. And and they are both distinctively different to drive, but both similar. If you can imagine that a 918 and a 550 are sp- similar, they, they are. <laughs> but they're, they're light years apart in their capabilities, but right. you, when you get behind the wheel, you just feel this is a Porsche. If you close your eyes and just uses, used your your sense of feel, mm-hmm. you would know that you were sitting in a Porsche, whether it would be the 918 or the 
550. So those would be the two cars and everything in between is just uh, a wonderful experience to be able to see all those cars on almost a daily basis because they're in our collection, which is here at the dealership. Yes. And uh, I get to go in there and, you know, look at that stuff and touch that stuff. And every time you touch, whether it's a 911, whether it's a 935, whether it's a 962, a 550, whatever it is, it brings back a memory with that car that is really cool to be able to experience and to you know, we live over a 40-year period of time. Sure. Oh, very special. Now, I've had almost 400 guests here on the show, and I've asked this question of all of them. And since you picked two cars, I'm going to get 399 phone calls if I don't have you narrow it down to just one just for today <laughs> because they're going to say, how come you let Hurley get away with two cars and you didn't let me? So between the 550 and the 918, if you had to pick one to have in your garage today, which one would it be? Well, it would be, uh, I also have this car in, in our collection too. It would be an 80, a 73 911S, uh, the wide bodied car. Uh, that was a, a great car. That was a car that the RS was, was, um, was patterned after. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had the duck tail on it, just a, a perfect car. And I remember driving actually the car that we have to the, racetrack with Peter. Uh, Peter was in the passenger seat and I was driving uh, from Jacksonville to, to Sebring. Mm-hmm. And I have a picture at Sebring. We have the yellow car, the race car. Mm. And the yellow car is, was sitting in the pit pit line and the orange 911 was outside the, the pit box, but you could see it in the picture. Yeah, And that's pretty cool. So that was uh, that that is a really fun, exciting car to drive even today. Yeah, and a lot of these older cars you you get in and you drive and go, yeah, that was why, why <laughs> yeah. this car so special. But yeah, that 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 911s remains in my book um, just spectacular and a lot of fun to drive. Oh, now you're bringing a tear to my eye because I had a 72s for 12 years and uh, yeah, very very special <laughs> car. So uh, very nice, very interesting jump from a 550 to a 918 to a 73s. But I understand, I understand. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and Brumos Porsche these days? Get on to our website, brumosporsche.com. We have a very active web page, and uh, you can follow with what we're, you know, what we're doing and, mm-hmm. and keep track, and it gives sort of the numbers of the people that you can contact if you want to have direct conversations. So uh, we have a really great website. Yeah. Also, Brumos I think we we on our Brumos website we have a racing link that'll give you up to date on what we're doing on the racing circuit. Absolutely, listen, yeah, listeners, you can find links to everything that Hurley shared with us today at carsyad.com/slash Hurley Haywood. Check out the Brumos website, the Brumos Racing website as well. Both places you'll find yourself spending a lot of time at. Hurley, thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Hey, thanks, Mark. I really enjoyed it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, 
a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!